0: أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين to والسلام على سيدنا ونبينا أبي القاسم المصطفى able to آله الطيبين الطاهرين thing. I will أعدائهم أجمعين من I السلام عليكم dear brothers and sisters I to well and welcome to another episode of our We ended here in the last episode where Ali ibn Abi Talib went through a number of lines and a number of phrases to highlight the idea that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would never stand there and watch his servant go through the punishment of the hellfire while he is calling for his mercy and while this person was a person who came to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he repented to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he was also amongst those who believed in the oneness of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la. He believed in the rububiyyah. He believed in the fact that Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la was the one who had control over everything in this world. But because he had some shortcomings, even though he repented, still he would end up in the hellfire. And he expressed this in a number of ways. He said, would you stand there and watch him while he is burning in the hellfire, while the guardians of the hellfire punish him, while he is convulsing or being convulsed through the different levels of the hellfire? Would you be watching him while he is calling out Ya Rabbah, he is calling you and calling for your mercy? Would you watch all of this and do nothing to save him? Okay, he ended this whole, essentially this whole approach of his, this whole long, this long phrase that he had, he en- ended all of it with this, Wala mushbihun Lima bihi min birrika wa ihsanik said this is not how you would normally deal with those who believe in your oneness okay we said that here ali ibn abi talib he is drawing this line he is creating this classification or this categorization between those who believe in the oneness of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and those who reject it and we said that he could have said this is not how you deal with any of your servants but that's not what he said. In reality, the wording that he chose was this is not how you deal with the Muwahideen. Now, I will mention this that when he says muwahideen, and on the other side he doesn't necessarily say Mushrik as you will find, he will say your enemies. So these are the two different categories that he's talking about. Those who accept the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and those on the other hand who are are the enemies of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which would mean those who essentially reject his oneness. We do need to explain this that in his case and during that time it was such a case where if someone did not believe in the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 99% of the time what that meant was that they knew the truth and they were rejecting it. And what we know, and, and you know, I'll probably mention this as a disclaimer in a number of our episodes, that what we know for sure is that if someone really does not know and the message doesn't get to them, right, and or the message gets to them, but the message that got to them is not the true message, it's some altered message, which is what you find today with the message of Islam, for example, when it goes through the mainstream media and the mainstream outlets that we have in the world. If that gets to them and they reject that that person is not going to be held accountable as a person who knew the truth and turned away from it so that might seem a little clear and self-evident but i have to reiterate that because i find this question being asked all the time of will allah subhanahu wa ta'ala punish someone who didn't know the truth and the app the answer is definitely no and absolutely not so just want to make that clear now what happens to a person who doesn't know the truth that's a longer discussion and a discussion for another time but just as for our purposes in this dua when Ali ibn Abi Talib he is categorizing people into these two groups we just need to understand that when he talks about the second group which are the enemies of Allah subhanahu wa taala, he is not referring to those who do not know the truth they would nef- definitely not fall under this category. So this is a categorization for those who know the truth. Now those who know the truth when it comes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there are those who accept it, there are those who are humble enough to acknowledge the presence of a greater entity in their life and then there are those who have arrogance and out of arrogance they don't believe in the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they will take idols, and they will take other things that they will worship. He says, you do not deal in this manner with those servants of yours, that category, that does believe in you. Because that category, مِنْ wa وَإِحْسَانَكُ You have shown them kindness, and you have done goodness to them. That's how you would deal with them. So if one of them did make a mistake, and then came to you, you would forgive them, you would not punish them in the hellfire. Or further than that, if they did end up in the hellfire, they probably won't stay there forever. They probably, once their sins are melted away from them through the flame of the hellfire, then they would leave the hellfire and they would enter into heaven. But nonetheless, you do find this categorization. That when it comes to the other group, is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala going to remove this person from the hellfire? Well, the verses of the Qur'an clearly tell us that that is not the case. In the verses of the Qur'an, we have verses that are extremely explicit and clear that if someone knew the truth and they rejected the truth fundamentally when it came to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when it came to the message of the Prophet as a whole, that this person will never make it into heaven. And if, if we say it that clearly, it's because the verses of the Quran say it that clearly. The Quran says, In al-ladina wa those who disbelieved and they rejected our signs and they rejected the truth knowingly, they will not enter into heaven. They will never enter into the heaven unless you can take a camel and essentially have it pass through the tip of a needle, right? Well, that's impossible because the tip of the needle or the little hole that you have at the tip of the needle, that's so small, you, can pass, you can't even pass a ball through it, not let alone a camel. This is a saying in Arabic when they wanted to use for something that was absolutely impossible, right? They used to say that if you can get a camel to walk through this small little hole at the tip of the needle that we use to thread it, you know, get a thread to pass through it, right? The Quran is saying this person will never make it into heaven. So here again in this du'a, because the du'a is reflecting the teachings of the Qur'an, he doesn't say that yes, if a servant of yours ends up in hellfire and calls for your help, that you will always help him. No, that is reserved for those who qualify for the mercy of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la. And in order to qualify for the mercy of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la, you have to have taken at least a small step. At least the smallest step and the smallest step out there is for you to at least acknowledge the truth. That you know, which is in this case the oneness of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. So Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala is making this categorization. We have this in the verses of the Quran, and along those lines, Ali ibn Abi Talib is also making this categorization. And I'll explain why this is important, brothers and sisters, because we have this idea, this this mentality and this mindset, and it's growing quite a bit um, in our, you know, in in uh, in today's society where people who want to speak on of the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, sometimes they will take it to an extreme where they will essentially mention that it doesn't make a difference who you are or what you do Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive you and that you'll be fine and we don't believe in that in Islam in Islam yes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is very merciful but there are conditions to his mercy you know, condition, the first and foremost condition is that you have to at least accept the truth if you don't accept the truth that is presented to you then you do not qualify for the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. and therefore it does make a difference who you are it does make a difference what you believe in and what you don't believe in sometimes we want to be inclusive which is completely fine right? and on a social level we should be inclusive and we should be a lot more inclusive than we are as Muslim communities but as it relates to the hereafter and the way God is going to judge us, we have to understand that yes, it does make a difference if you believe in the right things or you don't believe in the right things because Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala has made that clear in the verses of the Qur'an. Here, Ali ibn Ali Abi Talib, he could have sounded a whole lot more poetic if he were to say that yes, every single servant of yours, when they call for your help, you will respond to them. But he didn't say that. He said, muwahideen. He said, "Those who accept the truth." And again, if someone never knew the truth, separate discussion. But as as it relates to those who knew the truth, only those who at least accepted the truth are going to qualify for this mercy of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. It's very interesting in the uh, in, in this famous hadith in which Abu Dhar, the famous companion of the Prophet, is quoted. This individual comes to Abu Dharr and he says, مَا He says, why is it that we're so afraid of death? Why is it that we hate death so much? Abu Dharr started to explain. At the end of this hadith, there is this one line that essentially relates to this concept that we're talking about. So he explained, he said, the reason why you are so afraid of death, Because you have been working on your dunya, and you've ruined your akhirah and now that they tell you that you're going to go from this awesome place to this place that you have not prepared for at all well obviously you're afraid you're worried you don't like to go that's what's going on okay and then the guy asked him another question and said okay so tell me how are we going to look and how are we going to feel when we enter upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when we come to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of judgment he said amal muhsin Said well if you're in the first category of good people, he said it's like a person who hasn't been around his family for years and years. He's lost his family for years and years, and after you know 20, 30 years, he's getting a chance to see his family. What type of happiness will he will he feel? It's you know ultimate happiness, it's sheer happiness that he's going to feel. Well Amal Musi and if you are amongst the wrongdoers, faqal ala he's like the slave or the servant who ran away from his master and now has been recaptured, right? What type of feeling does a slave have, right? And unfortunately, you read of this in history of slaves who wanted to run away and then they were recaptured, right? And their punishment a lot of times was even greater than anything else. He says that is how a person who is a wrongdoer would would feel on that day. So this person then asks this question and he says, well, how can I know which category I fall into? The... Companion of the Prophet, Abu Dhar said, ala He said, Why are you asking me? The book of Allah uh, Subhanahu wa Ta'ala is in front of you. Let's see what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says. He says, wa He said, if you're a wrongdoer, you'll end up in hellfire. And if you do good, you'll end up where? You'll end up in heaven and in blessings. Now here's the thing: this is that question. This is the reason why you mentioned this hadith, okay? Because when it comes to the end of this hadith, right, and when I say hadith, I mean in the sense of something that's been narrated. Uh, otherwise, this is not from a, a prophet or imam. This is from Abu Dhar, the famous companion of the prophet, who, by the way, the prophet has said about him that there is no one more truthful to have ever walked the earth than Abu Dhar. So we can trust what Abu Dhar is saying, by the way. But nonetheless, you know, if I refer to it as hadith, it's not very much of a, uh, you know, precise reference that I'm making there. But this narration, I should say. This narration, at the end of it, this individual asks him a question. He says, wait a second. You said the good ones will end up in heaven. They'll end up in na'im, referring to the blessings of heaven. And the wrongdoers, they will end up in this jahim. They will end up in the hellfire. And then he asks him this question. Qala rajul rahmatullah? He says, well, where is the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? I thought God is the most merciful I thought that he's the one who has, you know, he shows mercy to people. So, but you're telling me some people end up where in Jahim. So what's going on here? And what did Abu Dhar respond to him? Very beautiful. Qal, and this is a verse of the Quran. إن رحمة الله قريب من المحسنين. He said, the mercy of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is there for those who do good, for those who do good in the sense that they are perfect. No. At the very least, when the truth is presented to them, they have the humility, the humbleness to accept the truth. At the very least, when they see a sign from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they are willing to say, Ya Allah, I know you are out there and I accept you as my Lord. At the very least, they're able to do that. This person, yes he will qualify for the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But you're asking where is the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the one who does not even do this? Well, this person, he holds no value in the eye of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The one who fundamentally rejected the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's very beautiful. This person is saying where is the mercy? (laughs) Abu Dhar is saying, listen, if you want to ask about mercy, you have to qualify for it. You have to be amongst muhsineen. And if you want to be amongst muhsineen, the very lowest level Is you have to at least acknowledge the truth that has been presented to you. This is why Ali ibn Abi Talib, he doesn't say, Yes, all of the servants of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if they call out for his mercy, God is going to be there for him. He doesn't say that. He says, This is how you would deal with the muwahideen. Okay, now as you continue with the lines of the dua, he will make this even more clear because now he's going to take it a step further. He's going to say, You know what, Ya Allah, not only when a servant of yours calls out for your help and mercy, will you help him? Will your, will your mercy be there for him? In fact, let's take it a step further. If it wasn't for the fact that there is another category of your servants that essentially have to be in hellfire because that is what the, is compatible with who they are. If it wasn't for them, when this, mer- when this servant of yours calls out, when this servant of yours asked for your help you might have been coming close to just taking hellfire and getting rid of the whole thing of taking hellfire and having it turn cold altogether but of course you will not do that because there is a group of your servants that they essentially their existence is compatible with the hellfire that is where they have to be this is what he says I know with certainty If it was not for the fact that you have made it clear that those of your servants who are jahid jahid means the one who knows the truth and turns away from it he knows the truth, he's certain about the truth and still he turns away from it If you have not made it clear that they will be punished, if it was not preordained that your enemies, not those who believe in you and have shortcomings, no, your enemies, that they will remain in the hellfire. I know what you would do when this servant of yours calls out for help. You would have taken this hellfire and you have you would have turned all of it cold. Like there would be no hellfire. That's how great your mercy is. And there will not be, there would not be a place of residence for anybody in the hellfire if this person calls out for your mercy. Except for the fact that there are those, however, that their existence is compatible with the hellfire. Except that there is a group that you have made it clear that this group they will never make it out of hellfire and they have to be punished in the hellfire. And that is because they did not even take the smallest step to come close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They did not even accept the truth that was presented to them. If it was not for the fact that you have sworn, and you've made it clear, من من أجمعين, that the kuffar, those who know the truth and turn away from it. That they will end up in the hellfire whether they are from the jinn or whether they are from the ins and that the enemies of yours will end up in there forever eternally and you the one who has all these beautiful names you have said in other words you have introduced this principle to everyone La that at the end of the day, if Allah Subhanahu wa Taala gives us this opportunity where you can work and be good for 50 years and end up in heaven forever, there has to be an evil side to it as well. And therefore, the one who chooses the good and the one who chooses the evil, at the end of the day, they cannot be the same. If I'm the opposite of another person, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has to deal with me in an opposite manner compared to them. If this person is pure evil and there is someone who is pure good, then the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala deals with them has to be different from one another. Now, when it comes to those who end up in hellfire eternally and a person who makes it into heaven, of course these are full, fully opposites of one another these are individuals who are completely opposite of one another and therefore when we say allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will deal with them in a different manner and he will differentiate between the two of them because that's what his justice would require of him then you know the the difference and the gap is going to be a very big gap right because this is pure evil and this is, you know, a lot of goodness. I would say, at, at the very least, on the other side, right? A person who's accepted God and he he believes in God and he's working and he's trying his best to, you know, obey the commands of Allah Subhanahu Taala. So the the difference is a very stark difference between the two. But you can also apply this to those who in within a group, for example, who both believe in Allah Subhanahu Taala, but one of them believes in Allah Subhanahu Taala and he's working really hard to obey Allah Subhanahu Taala. And the other one who believes in God, but he's, you know, he's just slacking off. He's not really working hard. Again, the same principle would apply there as well. I want to apply this principle when it comes to the second example that I gave, because that's the example that we deal with more often. Earlier on in the episodes I mentioned that it's very rare for us to actually come across people who will end up in hellfire eternally. And the Qur'an and Hadith does not tell us how many people actually end up in hellfire eternally. We don't know that. We don't know the answer to that question, right? There's nowhere in Qur'an and Hadith that we have been given a number, for example, to know like is it 5, is it 10, is it 100, is it 50? We don't know, right? So, But we deal with that very little with people who know the truth and turn away from it. But we deal with this second example a whole lot more. People who both of them accept the truth, but one of them works really hard, and one of them is not really practicing of the religion. Like he doesn't really care. Like he'll he'll drink and he'll have his pork and he'll dress in whichever way he or she wants to dress and talk and walk in whichever way they want to do. Again, does this principle apply? It absolutely applies and we'll talk about this more in the next episode because this is a principle that you find is fading away in the you know in the in the thought process of of the muslim communities and especially our youth right because we're trying to be more inclusive and again we should be more inclusive but just because we are trying to be more inclusive we should be careful not to reach a point where we tell people that it doesn't matter what you do, God is going to be merciful towards you. Yes, God will be merciful towards everybody who at least has that one qualification that I talked about earlier. But is there going to be a difference between them? Oh, absolutely there's going to be a difference between the one who strives to practice and you know, maybe 80% of the time he's successful and 20% of the time he has shortcomings and the one who 80% of the time doesn't really care about it and is only practicing 20% of the time is there going to be a difference between these two? Yes, absolutely and by the way when I say practicing, and I'll just mention this before we wrap up when I say practicing, I know that word is associated with certain aspects of practicing Islam we don't, we're not talking about only those aspects. I know when we use the word practicing, you know, praying five times a day will come to mind or like fasting will come to mind, right? Or dressing or you know, going by the Islamic dress code will come into mind. Yes, those are all part of practicing and then there's another whole part of Islam that has to do with the inward aspect, your akhlaq, the way you treat people, how forgiving you are, how merciful you are, all that kind of stuff. When I talk about practicing, I mean both aspects. We're not talking only about one aspect of it, right? But at the end of the day, is there going to be a difference between the one who tries to go all out in terms of practicing the teachings of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, and the one who, although he accepts that God is there, but when it comes to practice, there is a huge lack of determination. There will absolutely be a difference there. And we are not to diminish that difference. Because the moment you diminish that difference, then you will reach a point where people will not even strive anymore to continue to practice, to continue to better themselves. And that is the beginning of the threat. The moment you say there's no difference between you who practices a lot and me who's not practicing very much, you just open a can of worms because at that point, I have no motivation to practice anymore. What difference does it make? And this is kind of what you find in the Christian faith. And of course, because our time is up, I'll, I'll leave it at that and we'll end there. But inshallah in the next episode, I'm going to talk about this a little bit more and it's, it's actually a little bit of venting from what I see in our communities and in, in the you know the Islamic talk that we find nowadays. So I want to touch on that a little bit. But we'll, we will do that, inshallah, in the next episode. Until then, keep us in your prayers and take care. Wassalamu alaikum, rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.